Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by Eric Eager from Sumer Sports in order to just sort of take a look around the NFL. I think it's sort of hard in the middle of a season to zoom out and see everything that has changed from the prior years, from the prior five years. So, of course, love talking to Eric, who, uh, in his work at Sumer Sports, very data-driven, has a great ability to zoom out and see some of the larger trends at force and some of the micro trends that are going to end up shaping the direction of the season with some uh, MVP market chat at the end. Uh, really enjoy talking to Eric. Hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. If you want to support this show, you can always subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash TakeCast. You can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts or just tell a friend about the show. Now let's go ahead and get into it. All right, guys, welcoming back into the program, my friend Eric Eager from Sumer Sports. You guys know him uh, for for many years across the uh, the football nerd interwebs. Of course, his uh, his show with Thomas Dmitrioff, everything that they have going on there on Sumer Sports. We actually had Tej on the program from Sumer, uh, I think about two months ago. had a had a nice little conversation there. But I am I am jazzed up about this football season, so I'm looking forward to talking some ball. Davis, it's fun to be here. It's fun to uh, talk with a fellow Chiefs fan and uh, and uh, get ready for the rest of the rest of the season, the rest of our lives here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we this is uh, this is actually kind of we're we're recording this at kind of a critical time where we don't know the results of two very important games. So when Eric and I, if you're listening to this next week or if you're listening to this uh, before these results, you're you're you'll have a very different perspective because we're recording this before. Bengals Ravens on Thursday, November 16th. And we are recording this before Eagles Chiefs on Monday night football. I mean, two, the two biggest regular season games by far, if the Bengals lose this game to the Ravens, we are, uh, we are in, you know, full crisis mode there in Cincinnati. And if Kansas city beats the Eagles, uh, I mean, one, there are going to be a lot of people mad on the internet at the Kansas city chiefs as they always are. And uh, in, in our, our corner of the internet, there are going to be a lot of upset Chiefs fans if they lose this game to the Eagles as well. Uh, that, I mean, that is, a huge, that is a huge test for them. I remain pretty unconvinced, actually, by our 2023 Kansas City Chiefs. I think that the Chiefs kind of have a very similar problem to the Bills in that the, the wide receiver investments just really have not panned out. And so much of the team is just asking Pat to be the greatest quarterback to play the sport, which he can do a lot of the time, but not all of the time. A hundred percent. And I think it's funny though, because 
I understand your melees and I, and I see it a little bit when I watch the games, it's like, um, you know, we know that the Chiefs, when they want to, can just rise up and throw like a seven-yard slant to Rasheed Rice or Marquez Valdez-Scaling or something. And yet, because Andy Reid is so starkly against unloading the clip on teams like Denver and teams like, uh, you know, uh, teams like that, um, even to a, a lesser extent Miami, like we're still seeing the audition phase. I had this tweet a couple a couple weeks ago that a lot of people – you know, uh, took maybe the wrong way. But, like, I think these great teams, they they spend the whole season, like, ironing out the the issues that they have. And then, you know, the, the not-so-great teams, you think about Miami even in that realm, they spend the whole season concealing their weaknesses. And, and so then when they get to the playoffs, like, the teams like Kansas City always end up doing better. New England, you know, back in the day as well, you know, a lot of ugly Septembers in New England, followed by conference championship game appearances. And and it's frustrating as, as a fan because you look from a fantasy perspective, it's like, you know, you could scheme up eight catches for a buck 20 and a touchdown to Kelsey. But today you're messing around and like in trying to, you know, see if MBS or, or Skymore or somebody can like actually convert with Pat on the on the the scramble drill or something like that. And so it has been frustrating. I think the interesting part is even though they're down, the league being down as a whole and the Chiefs trading, you know, the biggest asset that they had besides Kelsey and Mahomes to build a defense, in some ways they got to see the head they got to be on the cutting edge of this wave to the well, point they, where they got lucky. I think I think they got I think they got tremendously lucky that trading away Tyreek Hill, who clearly as evidenced by what he's done in Miami, it was not not a product of Pat, not a product of Andy Reid. He he really is probably the best wide receiver in the game and I think they got tremendously lucky that the Bills and the Bengals did not make corresponding personnel moves to get even better at the same time. Yeah, but don't you think though that this was I agree with you, but I think that they in 2021 saw the, you know, they got to see kind of what we're seeing now. And I'll bring up some stats for a second. But if you look at Tyree's yes. 2021 season um, versus 2020, even 2020, you know, average depth of target 12.9, average yards per catch 14.7. In 2021, average depth of targets 10.6. Average yards per catch, 11.4. So even though he's productive, right, they had to give Tyreek in 2021 20 more targets to get a, basically 100 fewer yards, if you count playoffs, and three fewer touchdowns. And when you looked at Travis Kelsey as well, that production wasn't so – that production wasn't great either from an efficiency standpoint, yards per target, all that stuff. And so, like, they they sort of saw this too-high shell – this you know reduction in in box counts and all of that notice that that put their two best players in kind of the same spot of the field and in in, in the same way like a, a person goes out to their yard and like you know calls off a few of the shrubs and everything and allows the rest of the plants to grow they like got rid of hill which clearly in a vacuum is not good but it like reopened the middle of the field because they weren't going to have hill making what he was making to be marquez valdez scaling but it's fine to have Marquez Valdez-Scantling make what he makes to be Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So I, I think that that's like in a weird way, 
at least last year, they saw the efficiency boom from opening up the field and kind of like and and spreading it out a little bit more and, and handling the two high safeties in a more awake way. The rest of the league is still seeming to catch up with that. And then additionally, the Chiefs are starting to see, you know, what happens now that teams, at least after that initial brushback last year, are not necessarily afraid of the aforementioned wide receivers. I do, honestly. I I hate the too high safety stuff. I mean, now again, I am uh, a fantasy nerd first and foremost. I mean, I I do love the Kansas City Chiefs winning games and winning Super Bowls and stuff, but I just like I like long touchdowns. I like lots of fantasy points. I like games to be thirty eight to thirty one as opposed to seventeen to fourteen. And you know, I don't. I don't think it is all on the two high safety, on rule changes, on defensive coordinators. We also are at just it's gotta be the the absolute nadir of quarterback play of my adult life. I mean, if you just cycle through how many teams are truly happy with their quarterbacks? I I mean, it might be like six teams, maybe would be like we would not entertain any sort of trade offering any like they're just that that is our guy we're paying him his money and we're, it's and it's unbelievable it, it's just insane yeah i think if you look at that number right who is it it's it's basically buffalo dallas kansas city oh Dallas, no no chance no chance dallas fans will tell you dak stinks even even after this run he's on that they, they, they would <laughs> they would set they would send him down the river i think you know if, if like for yeah. example if you offered dallas drake may or caleb williams in place of Dak I think they would take it right now sight unseen that is crazy but yeah I mean we have it is crazy it's interesting because um you know you and I sort of are have similar like views on like kind of a little bit of you know the way thing like when you look at like society in general right where you look at like when something's taken away you know especially in America like the, the the it's resilient right we find a different way but eventually you, you lose ways of overcoming some of the obstacles that are put in front of people justly or unjustly, right? And RPOs were one of this one of these ways in which like we had like a legitimate sh- chance of like actually um, you know being able to uh, you know uh, overcome poor offensive line play, which is a, a function of the CBA in 2011 and, that, and then again in 2020. Um, you know, lack of development at the QB position, all that stuff. But this year, Davis, like when you look at, you know, for example, the RPO rate in the NFL is the exact same, you know, a little higher even than before, 11, 11.2% in 2021, 11.5% in 2022, 12.3% in 2023. However, two years ago, 36.4% of RPOs were pulled out and thrown. In 2023, it's 25.6, meaning these linebackers are just like, Believe you, we don't give a crap if you run the ball because your linemen aren't like pushing up field all that well because it's an RPO and they don't want to get called. And so we're just going to stand in that passing lane. And and it's funny, like, again, it's funny because it's all leads back to the Chiefs. Like this was happening to Kansas City in 2021. And, you know, they a lot of one of their reasons why they were effective last year was instead of running RPOs and handing the ball to Daryl Williams, they just ran run plays and like they were more effective but then the rest of the league has dealt with this, you know, to use your word, nadir in like six man boxes, 48.5% of early downs or six man or less box or fewer boxes. It's the highest rate that we've seen uh, since the data goes back. 
And yet offenses against six man boxes running the football are far less efficient last year than this year. And I, you go back to like, well, what has the league done? Well, the league has drafted Jordan Davis, Travis Jones. If you look at Baltimore was kind of a poor man's Jordan Davis. They've invested like all of the interior defensive lineman contracts in the spring and not a ton of edge contracts. And, and you've looked and said, well, the offenses for as long as, as we've had, had, have had RPOs is kind of like a crutch. And these defenses are like, yeah, this is kind of stupid, actually. Uh, RPOs are not all that effective once we just, like, let them happen. And, you know, that's kind of what we've seen last year. This year, RPO passes are negative .09 EPA per play, negative .07 running. Both of those are all-time lows uh, for RPOs. And so I think that it's 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 actually kind of, like – it's funny, but like these defenses are just kind of like, okay, we're going to call these offensive bluffs. And it's especially uh, terrible now when it comes to teams not, not having the quarterbacks to overcome it. And that's another trend that people sort of pushed back against was rushing efficiency. Okay. So we're back to the golden age of football, right? Rushing efficiency yeah. was rushing efficiency was up last year. Teams were looking at these lighter boxes, extra defensive backs, the safeties actually playing further away from the line of scrimmage pre-snap, but then staying closer to the line of scrimmage post-snap. And that was resulting in a lot of six-yard runs instead of three-yard runs. And now, now it's all gone, right? Passing efficiency is down, points are down, rushing efficiency is down. And, you know, I, I do wonder if it's, it's you know, obviously it's, it would be impossible to control this way, but I wonder if, let's say, we were able to clone... I don't know who's who's like a uh Dak actually is a great example. Dak got to play quarterback for all 32 of these teams where, you know, Dak is a good quarterback, not like, a, you know, an all-timer Hall of Famer style quarterback, I don't think. I, although yeah. uh, who knows, whatever happens with him later in his career. And if we were able to control for quarterback play in a really pure sense and that it was all the same guy, I wonder if efficiency would be down because you know, we do have some of these teams, the quarterback play that half the teams are getting, like the quarterback play from the Steelers or the Broncos or the Colts or the Titans or the Panthers or the Falcons. Like, it's hard to tell how much of the efficiency being dragged down is because quarterback play is I, – I, I really don't think I'm exaggerating to say this is like the worst we've seen in 10, 15 years. So it's 10 starting quarterbacks who have, are in their rookie year. That's like an all-time high – Yep. Um, yeah, it's bad. It's, it's, it, there's certainly like no, there's certainly no way around it. Right. It gets bad. And, um, and, and like, again, like I think off it's sort of offenses had been so cutting edge and defenses now are just like spamming the zone. Like if you look at like, for example, like the, the middle of the field being open right now, if you, if you look at defenses right now are showing too high or middle of the field open looks 55% of the time. That's 10% more than just in 2016 and almost 20% more than 2018, where you, you saw, you know, 2018, 2020 were the sort of like the two years where you had like, you know, scoring at this time of the year was in the fifties, uh, you know, for or high forties in the case of 2018. And it's like, you know, defenses are just like, forget this. Like, we're not going to let this happen. Teams like the Raiders who have no talent defensively really other than Max Crosby, are just spamming the thing with, you know, the same way that like the Arthur Smiths and the Kyle Shanahan's and the uh, Kellen Moore's were like spamming uh, offenses with like motions and, and, and play actions and stuff. Defenses are finally like, okay, well, what levers can we push? Uh, for example, stunt rate. 
is is at an all-time high as far as people have been tracking it at 13.8%. So like um it, it's just it's it's incredible like what's what's happening in this league. And I'm I guess so what's our what's our path? I mean, what is what is our path back to totals in the 50s every week? I mean, there are so we got we got Stroud, right? Stroud looks looks I mean, he looks great actually. We yeah. have Levis, who is like making a ton of mistakes early, but I mean, Levis can at least zip the ball around like the, the, like I, I believe the light on for him. Uh, I mean, the Panthers seem so down bad. How down bad are the Carolina Panthers right now? Like the trade up the removal of DJ Moore, like they don't have their own pick. That's going to be incredibly high this season. The bears might, the bears might get to pick a better quarterback with this pick than the one that they used. I I just I and then I guess the big thing is is you don't have faith in a lot of the decision makers in the front offices to do the right thing. You know that that's the real big problem. Well, I and 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 I think that you know we obviously had the the loss of Breeze and Rivers and Roethlisberger and Brady. That's so true. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers and like for and and so I, I look at like Minnesota for example they kind of luck in and I I don't mean this in a disparaging way towards Cousins but like they kind of lucked into the Cousins Achilles injury because he was kind of making that decision hard for them but we all know right like what the Derek Carrs of the world and the Kirk Cousins of the world the Ryan Tannehills we all know what those guys are and yet because of to your point about front offices there's just so much of an edge. I mean, you think of Matt Ryan just retired. Like all these guys who are MVP caliber quarterbacks are gone. And the 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 hangers on are the guys who are, you know, making really good money being pretty decent quarterbacks. And because all those other guys have left, like now we're talking ourselves into cousins being like a top eight quarterback and Dak being a top six quarterback and, you know, guys who are Derek Carr getting another contract to disappoint a fan base for another four years. Like, and, and we, we have, we, we, because those guys are better clearly than the Zach Wilson's coming in or the Mac Joneses are coming in, like they get pushed to the top, but those quarterbacks are not everything everywhere all at once. They need structure. And, you know, other than like what Detroit, like we we have not and Minnesota to a lesser extent, but certainly Minnesota has done you know the Adolfo Mensa and, and O'Connell years, but like having a midline quarterback requires like a great deal of like TLC from the front office and you know places like you know Atlanta and, and like they have not done what's necessary to kind of nurture that middle of the line position. So now the position becomes again back to being like a barbell position where. You either want a guy on a rookie deal who's you're gonna be able to build around and you know buy players like Sammy Watkins for 16 million because the money doesn't matter when he's good and 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 he's cheap, or you need to have the the very best guys with the very best coaches. And we've seen that like not as many of the guys that we thought were gonna be the very best are the, actually the very best, and not enough of the young guys have 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 elevated themselves to uh, at least kind of midline status, which is a which is a huge edge. Um, when it comes to team building, um, when the guy's on a rookie deal. Well, I, so while you were talking, I, I thought of this idea. Is it actually in this environment more possible to win with a Trent Dilfer style quarterback, you know, where, where the surrounding everything is better. You know, you, you spend yeah. a lot of your, you spend a lot of draft capital on offensive line, 
on wide receivers, on edges, on defensive backs. You give big contracts and free agency to players that impact the passing game. Because if, look, I mean, we are seeing Josh Allen struggle. We are seeing Joe Burrow struggle. Jalen Hurts, I believe for the first seven games of the season, had a negative passing EPA. He was leading the league in interceptions. Yeah. So we are seeing, I mean, look, Pat just lost to the freaking Denver Broncos. Like, like if quarterbacking is going to be harder. Now, I'm not saying you can win a Super Bowl with the uh, Taylor Heineke, Ryan Tannehill tier of quarterbacks. I I think that will always be impossible. But I don't know. Let's. I mean, Cleveland's the real test here, right? And I know that they're not necessarily, it's not exactly what you're saying because they they have spent a lot of money on Deshaun, but because their co- because their owner is willing to do the whole void year proration thing, like they have a pretty good roster right now. They have a young quarterback kind of of that ilk. The the issue with the Trent Dilfer bit is that you know back when Dilfer won, it wasn't just Dilfer. It was Brad Johnson. It was Jake Tellholm. It was Kurt Warner. Like. It, it was Matt Hasselbeck making a Super Bowl, um, Rex Grossman making a Super Bowl. Like back in the day before the new CBA kind of really made the quarterback position kind of a Boolean, do you have one? Do you not have one? You could really go, you could really build a team around the Brad Johnsons of the world and win a Super Bowl. It's just hard now because like take Case Keenum, for example, right? Case Keenum kind of oh, was I a throwback Case in the sense Keenum. of like in Minnesota, when I was growing up there, it was like they had, Sean Salisbury, Jim McMahon, Warren Moon, Brad Johnson, Randall Cunningham, Jeff George, Dante Culpepper. Every year they made the playoffs with a different quarterback, and they were just able to cycle through, and that you know made some sense. Nowadays, because stability is so prized, especially by people like the Wills, they you have a year like Case Keenum, and what Case Keenum fetched eighteen million in the open market after that year with Minnesota, when we all knew that Case Keenum was not an eighteen million dollar quarterback, right and and so it's just so hard because the rookie contract is where you find the Dilfers now, because when the guy goes and plays okay football for one year, he still can't even go to the table and ask for a new contract until year three. Whereas like if you were to sign Jameis Winston to like a two and a half million to $10 million deal, let's say, and he goes out there and just absolutely flames it up and like has a great season. Well, then he's going to go get the Geno Smith contract at the very least. And and that that just becomes hard, right? And so, whereas you know back in the day, like that alternative of like going into the draft and getting a young guy, like Sam Bradford was making fifty million guaranteed in his first contract. So that you know, or you know, but if it's just that kind of structural imbalance is just so hard to overcome now because you basically have a one year window when you have the Dilfer kind of player and a great roster, unless the guy's on a rookie deal. But then if the guy's on a rookie deal, you almost never can actually go in and draft a guy when you still have a guy, right? We saw Lamar with, with Joe Flacco. That that was basically, you know, Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. But for the most part, if you draft a guy when you already have a guy, you've already signaled to the whole world that you've given up on your current starter, which that wasn't also the case back in the day as well. Like, you know, teams would draft, you know, the, the Broncos drafted Tommy Maddox when John Elwood was in his prime in the first round. And like that stuff just happened because, you know, they were more comfortable with competition at QB. Like we're not comfortable with competition at QB either, which is also muddying the waters when you have a season like this. So uh, the Browns are a really good example. What do you do? What do you, if you, what? let's say, let's say you got you, someone hired the Browns hired you 
Mr. Eric Eager as a consult, right? You're coming in this off season and they're like, look, we, we need some outside voices. We need just some input on our cap situation, on our roster situation. Cause the way I understand it, and I am far from uh, a cap musician, a uh, magician. I do my best to understand the way their things were structured was it was very all in on this year. They converted a ton of money to this year. They actually converted, uh, they sent a bunch of the Deshaun Watson money to the next three seasons. Uh, I think his cap hit per year, something like 63 million yep. starting next year. And they do have this insane roster. I mean, the the offensive line is very good, although they did just uh, suffer an injury, I believe, to both of their tackles. Nick Chubb, uh, you know, torn whatever. I mean, they say it was only an MCL, but I don't know. I saw that play, and I think it was probably more than, than an MCL. They have Miles Garrett. Like, they have Amari Cooper on a super team-friendly contract. I, I wonder if he might want to be paid more, given just, like, how much he's having to keep P.J. Walker and Don, Dorian Thompson-Robinson afloat that feels like a very hard situation to extricate yourself from but also an insanely winnable division as evidenced by the fact that they are six and three getting f minus quarterback play oh for sure and and when you look at it what's really interesting is there are two classes like right we we, we follow the chiefs the chiefs are very much not a bonus money proration team right because what that requires is so just a little bit of cap you know um, if you sign a player to a deal and, and, you know, it's mostly guaranteed, you can choose to to have those guarantees go a certain way. You can have them be in a bonus that's prorated over a maximum of five years. That requires though, all of that money to be upfronted by the owner. Whereas you can also put in what are called, you know, what it's called paragraph five base salary and have those be guaranteed. And, Every single, and if you do that, that's great. The player might not agree to it because he has to wait until the, the season comes to actually get that money. So there's like right. these two balances. One, the pay as you go model is mostly what Kansas City has. And that's because their owner is not really willing or unable in some cases to front that money and prorate it over a bunch of years. Teams like Philadelphia, teams like Cleveland, teams like increasingly Minnesota. Again, there's that tie with Quasey, Andrew Barry. Andrew Barry to the Philly with the Howie Roseman, those teams will almost give like all their players what are called minimum paragraph fives. So if you look at like the table on over the cap for a lot of these teams this year, Eagles, for example, all their great players basically have minimum salary paragraph fives, but they're paid with bonus money that gets prorated over five years. As long as your owner is willing to consistently do that, meaning pay like 20% more than the cap and then like, push those 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 charges into the future when the cap value of a dollar is less because of cap inflation, you're perfectly fine. So like I would just tell Cleveland, like, look, they they're already under the cap for next year, which is interesting. They they only have 44 players in a contract, but they can take 46 base salary from Deshaun, prorate it out, as long as they're continuing to Bobby Bonilla, Sean, Deshaun Watson, like they can, they're fine with doing that. Amari Cooper's at 20 million base. Again, you can either let him go and save 11 million, or you can prorate that out again, or create a new contract that has bonus money that you can prorate as well. So, like they can get down on a lot of these players. Denzel Ward's another one as well. The the issue, and and Jason uh, Fitzgerald from Over the Cap does such a brilliant job of explaining this, but it's like you just don't want to get yourself into a Saint situation where 
you wake up one morning, you're like, Michael Thomas can't play anymore, but because we're committed to him for the next three years, we can't cut him. And so that's like where you get, you get with Cleveland, uh, you have those issues. And and maybe they, and maybe they'll end up being okay because a lot of the guys that they do owe the money to all still can play and well, I mean, we'll see with Nick Chubb, but I, I mean, to say that Deshaun Watson can play actually is probably a little bit generous. I know that he did just beat the Baltimore Ravens, a team that I think is really good and actually is, I think, one of the few teams that could win the uh, the Arrowhead Invitational. I actually, uh, yeah. I, I think, I think they could win in in Kansas City uh, in the AFC Conference Championship game. Unlike you know, like the Dolphins, I think would be drawing dead to win that game. Really, um, Watson, I just. Every everything looks like a struggle for him. And again, I know they did just win that game, but like I, I just don't $260 million for I mean, he, he since 2020, the dude has like 6.6 YPA and I believe more interceptions than touchdowns. It's not good. Yeah, it's not great. And but at the same time, like you think about what kind of composition of team can beat Kansas City, you know, it's power running game, it's great defense. Um, it's slow the game down. It's wait for Patrick to make mistakes, uh, you know, which are few and far between, but exist. Um, yeah, that, that is, you know, those are that, that's like a play style that I think that, you know, is unique enough where they might be, you know, they, they might be, I mean, they engineer their defense to beat teams like Buffalo, Los Angeles. Uh, and, you know, if they come across a team that's a little bit different than that, it can be not quite as fruitful for them in the playoffs for sure. So as you brought up, you brought up the Chargers, who we haven't talked about yet. Uh, sadly, I, you know what? I I uh, I gotta take an L here. I I really thought Kellen Moore was going to revolutionize the Los Angeles Chargers. I thought the Chargers were going to be the most serious version of the Chargers franchise that that has ever existed. Uh, they have not been that. They have continued to prove to be very unserious. I mean. The the Herbert criticism of certainly of which I've been part of again partly Schadenfreude because I do enjoy watching the uh, the Chargers lose games. It, it's definitely overstated. I mean Herbert, like for example, in that game against uh against uh, hashtag our Lions, I don't really know what else Justin Herbert could have done in order to engineer, you know, winning a winning effort in that game. Like if David Montgomery is going to score seventy five yard touchdowns against you, David Montgomery is going to score seventy five yard touchdowns against you. It just it just is what it is, but. Brandon Staley almost certainly will be fired after this season. I, I guess I don't know what they will do. I mean, Staley might not even make it to the end of the year if they like lose a home game to the Broncos or something. I don't know what they do with the coordinators there, but they also are paying Justin Herbert a huge contract. Keenan Allen is is very near to the end of his road. Mike Williams, who knows if he's able to play or be effective next year. Quentin Johnston is looking like buddy. <laughs> Quinn Johnson is looking positively Sky Moore-esque out there for the Los Angeles Chargers. So that that feels like a pretty tough road to hoe for them. Although, you know, by this time, by by week one next year, everyone will have sold themselves on whatever the Chargers pro, you know project to be next year. Yeah, it's so strange. Like, because more more was like, you know, Dallas. I felt like Dallas, you know, when with their offense production. It, there was it was always really high, but there was always something missing, right? There was always this like idea of like, and we've seen it this year when they decided to throw to their best player, 
they do really well on offense when they decide to get cute and throw it to Michael Gallup or, you know, Jalen Tolbert or something like that. It's not. And so there was always the goods in Dallas. And so it was always an interesting discussion as to whether or not more was, you know, driving the car or simply a passenger. I think in Los Angeles, there's been some, a lack of luck as far as Eckler's injury. And then, you know, Mike Williams injury and uh, Quentin Johnston, who's not Kellen Moore's fault. Uh, you know, being drafted and not being right. quite as good as as some of the other guys. So, uh, but it, it's the Chargers, right? There's always something with them. It's always and something. You 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 wonder um, if Telesco will make the move because this is this is a you know the Spanos family is not necessarily like we talk about you know paying you know tons of cash and prorating like that's not necessarily the kind of team they are. It's, well, it's definitely it's definitely not. I uh, just. I feel bad for a lot of these young quarterbacks. Like we're we're not there with Stroud yet, but we're totally going to get there. I mean, three years from now, we're going to be there with Stroud, where it's like we're going to be unsure about D'Amico Ryan's as as a coach. Probably we're going to be I'm we're going to be unsure about their ability to sign quality free agents. I you know we'll see what ends up happening with the offensive line, but I just I end up feeling so bad for these young quarterbacks a lot of the time because it's just like they they get this insane amount of media pressure. I mean, football is so popular in this country and you know, it is, I mean, we are, we are no different than NBA fans. You know, it's all, it's all, it's all rings culture and there's, it's very hard to win a Super Bowl, and you have to get like, so lucky. I mean, you, let's just be like, you do have to get very lucky to win a Super Bowl. And, and you know, how many guys are, you know, Dan, Dan Marino, like just where, where they're maybe individually amazing and there's nothing else they could have done, but they just get failed. Well, well, and the one thing that I think is tough is because I, I actually talked to somebody about Mac Jones the other day and they were like, well, is Mac Jones, you know, like what's going to happen to Mac Jones? Let, let's say he goes to somewhere where there's actually support. Does he return to his 2021 form, which is good, not great. I'm like the Carson Wentz, you know, story is an important one where if you, even you have a really talented quarterback, evidently 2017, like I don't think that came out of nowhere. But if you continue to ask him to do too much and you continue to ask him to play injured and you continue to ask him to overcome, you know, uh, a fire that you started, right. You, I think that guys can lose talent. And like, I really like Steven Ruiz, for that's example. Re- that's like, really interesting. That idea. But I, but I think like, you know, guys like Steven Ruiz, when I talk to him, I'm like, you know, what do you think about Herbert? He's like, well, there's no chance he's not going to be, um, in the hall of fame someday just he's too talented i'm like but we said we didn't say similar things about wentz but like let's talk like wentz was considered a guy who had all the talent in the world and philadelphia there was the one year 2019 where he had the most yards in nfl history without a wide receiver catching 500 or more yards and it's like by the next year he's he's the carson wentz we all know now and i'm not saying that herbert can fall off but it's like I don't know how much more you want to put him through this stuff. Last year playing right. with broken ribs the whole year. This year he's got the broken hand, but then they have no deep threat. They have no, you know, they have no ability to sort of stretch that offense out. And the guy from all accounts seems like an amazing, uh, just like uh, disposition. He overcomes a lot of the stuff, but like, do you really want to put that to the test for the next two or three years? Or do you want to, do we want to put somebody in there that can give him easy buttons and really show off his ability? Because, I just don't think that talent is immutable the some way the way that other people do. All right, let's uh, let's shift to uh, speaking of the mutability or immutability of talent. 
my friend Rich Rebar likes to say we as a nation can't be trusted with Brock Purdy discourse, but <laughs> I, I think we are we are deep enough into this show that we can have some Brock Purdy discourse. So we've seen the good and the bad, uh, you know, uh, some huge blowouts, the bad, you know, the inability to generate any points against that Cleveland Browns defense, and then a couple losses that weren't, you know, really so much anyone's fault. They were just losses that happened because it's a weird, it's a weird game. It's a leather, it's an oblong leather ball that bounces the way that it does. I, uh, so I would posit this, this is still my statement has been my statement about the 49ers in this entire iteration, which is, yeah, they have all these great players. I mean, Purdy actually is the example of the guy we were talking about earlier, the Dilfer, right? Great defense, Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, McCaffrey. And I would, I mean, First of all, the 49ers can totally win the Super Bowl. Like there are, I, I, you know, whatever the market has their win equity as, I think is probably right. But I do think as a team, they still have the same fundamental problem they had when Jimmy was the quarterback, which is you're down 10 points on the road at Philadelphia, home to Dallas, what just whatever the spot is. Difficult spot, Super Bowl, NFC Conference Championship. And I don't have faith in Purdy creating enough out of structure, having that magic, whatever that hurts and Mahomes and Allen and Burrow and those guys have. Yeah. I mean, if we've learned anything over the past few years, and this is like, I consider this like a practice for all of us. We're trying to like, you know, develop and, and learn new things from the data that comes in. It's that what coaches, some of the things coaches do, especially the great ones has signal. Um, and, and not like, we're not talking about efficiency standpoint, but the moves that they make to put players in a position. We we all thought Pete Carroll was a boob for all these years and because he wouldn't let Russ do certain oh, things. Oh, man. Man, and, do I need to eat it on that one. Yeah. I got to eat I it on that too, one. Like, you know, uh, PFF War when I was there in 2019 had Russell Wilson as the MVP of the league um, based upon. But a lot of – there's signal in – I always used to talk like with Kirk Cousins. There's signal in the fact that Kevin O'Connell – when they had a lead would never let him throw or would only let him throw screens and stuff like that. There's signal in that. And, you know, there's signal in how Russell Wilson now being used with Denver. He's pretty effective now that they put the training wheels back on and, you know, but what they ask him to do is super valuable. There's, there's, there's signal in the fact that Kyle Shanahan was a quarter away from winning a Super Bowl, a 10 point lead against Kansas city and saw on the other side of the, the sideline, a quarterback who's capable in spades of coming back from 10 points down. And he says, you know, I want that. Right. And he went out and got Trey Lance and Trey Lance, I think at, you know, the very peak of the distribution is Mahomes. Right. And he certainly didn't end up living that out, but that was what he was looking for. Now he's back with a guy like Purdy. And I still think, I still think it's the same limitations that he's had forever. And so, you know, can that win the Super Bowl? Yeah. Certainly, but I think even Kyle Shanahan would say, even at its best, it's still going to be a coin flip in the fourth quarter, even if we have a 10-point lead. And if you have a 10-point deficit, to your point, it's, you know, it's a huge underdog. Which I, I'm, which I guess is maybe, like, honestly unfair. It's an unfair standard to hold teams to, like, not only do you have to have a good offensive line and a defense that can stop opposing teams and, you know, amazing skill position players who can create on their own, but you also have to find quarterbacks, you know, a quarterback that is one of the five best on a, you know, in a planet of 8 billion people or whatever. I I've also had this idea 
rattling around and maybe maybe this is stupid but you know obviously there are a lot of good quarterbacks in college football there are a lot of quarterbacks who are very efficient they you know handle big moments they they you know go on the road and and hand it to Alabama or whatever or hang with Alabama or just like whatever whatever your definition of very good is and Obviously, it's it's not the exact same game. I mean, the rules and the fields are slightly different and everything. But I, I more and more as college remains roughly the same thing, the totals are like almost exponentially higher in college football. And often what will happen in college football when two great teams play each other is actually a shit ton of points get scored. It's actually, whereas in the NFL, you see two great teams play each other and the coaches play very tight and there's a lot of running when the scores are very low, but you get a great matchup in college football and, and the teams score a lot of points. I mean, Will Levis actually is a great example. He's like a very good college quarterback and is now just like getting hit all the time in and, uh, you know, hasn't topped 190 passing yards since his first game. What is it in that transition from college to professional football that the offenses and just like the quarterbacks themselves, you watch a guy, you watch Bryce Young throw a pass at Alabama and you watch him throw a pass in Carolina and they almost look like two different dudes. It's, it's, it's strange. I think in a lot of ways you want, you know, everybody was, was talking about how some of the tests in the big 10 were bad on CJ Stroud in the Northwestern game in, in Columbus where there was wind and, you know, he didn't have, you know, some of his best players and like, you know, maybe there's signal there. I, whenever I was, when I was at PFF, there was always like Steve Palazzolo would always be like, I was watching all of Brady's tapes to see if there was something hidden there. And I, I thought it was this one throw. And I like, I don't know, man. I think that it's a complicated mix of where a guy lands. Um, you know, what kind of receivers he has, what kind of fit there are, whether the offensive line's good or not. But even as I say that, we're talking about a guy like C.J. Stroud. The offensive line was injured basically the first yeah, half of the first half of the season. You know, his wide receivers all are top 26 in terms of EPA generated. You know, Nico Collins, Noah Brown, and Tank Dell. It's like that's probably a worse receiving core than he had at Ohio State. And oh, so, for sure. And, and so, like, you know, I, I like, lift my I, – I think – for some people like Bryce Young and Mac Jones, the lack of adversity at a place like Alabama might be negative. Um, you know, like what is how what's Mac Jones like now when they're losing games at a rate, they're losing more games in a month than he did at the, the whole entire time at Alabama. You know, Mahomes is a guy that, you know, his first year they had were a loser when when he was at Texas Tech and then he, you know, elevated that team to at least an above five hundred team. Um, yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I think sack avoidance is one big one but we're even seeing a guy like sam howell have success in the nfl this year because a coordinator has seen his weaknesses and decided to move away from them uh at least like you know in this halfway part through the season so um yeah i mean you can look at, at certain things like sack avoidance you can look at things like accuracy um you can look at things like strength of schedule and all that kind of stuff um but it's just a really tough position and i think a lot of it depends upon where the guy lands and to my point earlier about talent being immutable, like, do we think Patrick would be as good as he is if he landed on the Jets? I don't think so. And I and I don't even think it's or, the or same. the Bears. I mean, that's the big one, right? Who yeah, traded up to get Trubisky? Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily think that he would be the same. Like, I think a lot of like talent evaluators would go, oh, he's the same ball of clay. He would just be the production would be there. And I I sort of disagree. Like, I think 
like guys can get fundamentally better from a talent perspective because of coaching, obviously. And so it also, you know, it's not just about pure talent. It's also about the situation they land in. And that, you know, that's why, you know, for example, the draft curves are all wrong, right? Because we, we look at success in the draft, you know, first 10 picks. Well, those are the 10 worst teams in the NFL most years. And so they're not even going to give that, that pick a chance when he gets there, you know? So it, it's just a fun problem, but it's, it's fun because like we're nowhere close to solving it. I think, I think that is that, I mean, that's why we love it, right? Because we are so, no one will ever have any of this solved. I guess my, my zooming out on the chart take would just be like, I'm going to be really frustrated if Drake may and Caleb Williams get drafted by coaches who don't want to work with the ball of clay in a form that it wants to take, you know, that like, I think actually, I think Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are a great example where Stroud, I mean, let us not forget CJ Stroud literally did just lose to Bryce Young and the Carolina Panthers, like literally three weeks ago. And now he is in, and now he is in the MVP conversation but one of the things that uh, hashtag one of us, uh, Mr. Mr. Slowick is doing there in Houston was they were running the ball a lot, like a lot of running the ball. And they still mm-hmm. kind of run the ball too much. But in the second half of games in particular, they are abandoning that. They are really opening up. They are spreading guys out. They're playing four wide receivers. They're uh, you know, moving Dalton Schultz away, not having him be in line. Like they're really spreading it out in a way that CJ Stroud is more comfortable with. And guess what? They're incredible on those plays. And kind of the reverse thing is happening for Bryce, where it's like it's all really compact. Everyone's very close to the line of scrimmage. They are not abandoning the run at all. You know, they're down 20 points, handing the ball off to Chuba Hubbard. And I mean, you know, I, I want to make the excuse for Bryce a little bit that his wide receivers stink. But that also would have been a criticism of the Texans at the beginning of the season. So I think it's all I mean, I like Nico and I love Tank Dell at Houston. Uh, I don't think you can say the wide receivers are elevating Stroud to some degree. And Richardson looked amazing throwing to, you know, some guys who are fine, but not I- incredible. I, I just the Bryce Young thing is very weird for me. I, I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I was. <laughs> You know, we we went to the Super Bowl last year and like we did a show with with Jim Everett and you stand next to him and like and I'm a big guy, I'm you know, six three, two forty, right? I'm playing college tight end. And I, I'm looking at Jim Everett and I'm like, You're bigger, like you're much bigger than I am. As a yeah. and, and you're like and and you know, everybody remembers the the Jim Rome thing where Jim Everett flipped the table over at him because you know, Chris or Jim Rome said he was kind of a a, a wuss. And it's like that guy, if that guy's being called a wuss at the quarterback position, there is like just, I think, far more that goes into it from a size and a taking a beating perspective that maybe we're not appreciating as much. I think he, he's getting beat up a lot. I think that he's not used to getting hit that much because of, you know, the Alabama's offensive line wasn't the greatest in 22, but um, it's better certainly relative to the competition than, than Carolina's is. Like, there's just a toll that the, that the game takes on a player and in addition to it, obviously being faster and all that kind of stuff, it's just, I mean, I, I think about, um, and one of my, my theses for why teams should with two first round picks who need a quarterback should draft two quarterbacks is because these guys get hurt. If you look at any injury modeling, and I know you guys do, you, you, you do that kind of stuff as well. If you put a college to pro tag, it always adds like 1.5 games. And that my thought is always like, 
why did Tom Brady never get hurt? Well, Tom Brady was so good at the mental part of his assignment that he can use some of his brain faculties on staying, not taking big hits. Whereas, you know, you, I watched the USFL and XFL, you know, from a gambling perspective and everything. And those quarterbacks get hurt so much. It's like, yeah, it's because Case Cook is, is using a hundred percent of his brain to understand the offense. Oh, to, just to know what is he literally is trying yeah, to see well, in so front of him. He can't protect himself. He's not smart enough. Like smart enough is the wrong word, but like he doesn't have the game down cold enough yet. Big Ben, like Big Ben is like less athletic than you and I at the end, but he was so good at the game that he could protect himself um, from, from that perspective uh, and not move an inch in the pocket because he had the whole thing down and he was super efficient uh, at, at movement and everything. So it's it's all that stuff that I think and for for Stroud there must be something that they're doing in that Houston offense that simplifies a lot of the game for him so that he can uh, use his brain uh, on 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 you know the right things frankly. I wonder, I wonder if there's like if there's something like verbiage from Ohio State or something like that, or maybe Stroud is just like a footballing genius. You know, he might be one of those guys that it just like really makes they they I mean they say like there have been stories about quarterbacks who do that where they're like in the meeting and they had this one you know let's say they were like a, a mesh based like air raid offense in college but then they come in and they meet with the west coast coordinator or whatever and they immediately pick up on the verbiage and stuff and they're yeah like, like well there is that great story about about uh Nagy teaching pat stuff before he met with Andy Reid so that he could pretend like he knew more about the offense than than he actually did. All right, let's uh let's close with this. I I think this year's MVP market is one of the most fascinating overall because the two guys who are favorites, uh Mahomes and Hurts, I I would argue they could be unseated very easily. Honestly, this is not the best season of Pat's career. Jalen was way, I mean, Jalen was way better last year uh, than he was, than he was. I mean, obviously the numbers are roughly the same. Uh, He's a little bit worse in EPA. He's been rushing less. I, and I would say obviously Tua, I don't think can win it because I think, I actually think if Tua had good enough numbers to win the MVP and the Dolphins record was good enough, I actually think Tyreek would win it because I think that means Tyreek would set the all-time receiving record and have, you know, 15 touchdowns or something like that. I I do think Lamar, if the Ravens win this game on Thursday night, or Burrow, if the Bengals win this game on Thursday night, I actually think both of them can can completely win it. And I don't think it would be insane for Allen or for one of these skill positions. Like Tyreek at 50 to 1. Uh that's what I see it on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now. I bet you could shop around. I actually don't think that's a terrible bet. No, an MVP, you know, MVP at wide receiver is tough. I mean, we just we just have not seen that uh, really much at all in league history. So that would be a tough one for me. And I've been banging this drum a, a little bit all season. I agree with you that like right now, it's probably um, you know it's probably Pat or Jalen, but the, the the prices on it are terrible. Even Lamar Jackson eleven to two on FanDuel to me is not like not a good value. The value is Josh Allen at 28 to one. Um, oh, yeah. you know, the, the fact of the matter is like when you, and my old colleague, Timo Risky at PFF, the, like, the guy that wins the MVP is generally speaking a top guy in EPA, top guy in EPA per play plays for a team uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, in that, like they don't have to win 13 games, um, but they have to win like 10 or 11. 
the per per our metrics at Sumer Sports, as you go to at sumersports.com backslash league table, um, the Bills have the hardest schedule in the NFL moving forward. Now that you know, and if you're gonna bet them plus two hundred to make the playoffs ish, that might not that might make you lean off that bet. But if you're betting Josh Allen to win a tail event award, well, if he does continues his high level play after they fired a coordinator after they have the hardest schedule down the stretch, the narratives are going to be swirling around Allen to win the MVP. And he's got the statistical goods to do so leading up to this. Right. So to me that that's like where the value is in terms of MVP. I I would definitely, I would definitely tend to agree with that. I, I always bet. Pat at, at the beginning of the year, just, you know, out of, yeah, it's, a good, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good bet at those prices. Yeah, you got to do it. Um, I, the one thing I would say is like the, the narratives I've, since I've been tracking this, I just always find the MVP award fascinating. The, the worst ones to do are the Tua's and the Purdy's where it's a guy where the narrative is going to be so much about their coach and their teammates. Like, yep. Let's say let's say it, the 49ers win out and end up with the best record in the NFC in the one seed or whatever. And like, I don't know, it feels like if McCaffrey gets an MVP or if Purdy gets an MVP vote, McCaffrey might get one. Or like if Shanahan wins coach of the year, Purdy is not winning it. The thing I would say about the Bills is their schedule is miserable, man. I, I don't know. They So they get this home game against the Jets, but then they go on the road to the Eagles, on the road to the Chiefs, home to the Cowboys, road to the Chargers, then they get the Patriots at home, but then they're on the road against the Dolphins in Week 18. I mean, that is... He would honestly deserve it. If, if, if the Bills come out of that like like with one loss, I mean, he would deserve it. I would give it to him. I mean, that is that is that is an unbelievably hard schedule. Yep, exactly. And th- and that's why, you know, laying, you know, take or not laying anymore, you taking two to one for them to make the playoffs, or even like I think in the three to one to four to one to range to win that division, to me, like I, I think that's just hugely spec you know, spectacle right now. Like I I just I think you you have to bet the tails on the bills because of the narratives, but I wouldn't, you know, and, and I've been somebody I I like my Super Bowl pick was Bill's Lions. Like I I, yeah, I was wrong about the like, to, the bills to this point. Like they've had an easy schedule to this point. And well, so the only way that they can get out of it is if this offensive coordinator move slash statistical gravity pulls them up to where they were, even against this hardest schedule. And I, I just, I just don't see that happening at a minus one ten price. I, I think at 28 to one, it's certainly uh, worth, worth playing. Yeah. Okay, one more I do one more thing I do want to talk about our lines. Then then we can go. Then we can go. Um I actually so I was a Lions believer overall. I I love I love Dan Campbell. I I'm totally in on, you know, restore the roar hashtag our Lions. But one, I mean, I did absolutely hate that uh that loss to the the loss they gave the Chiefs on the opening day of the season. And and they were was it they were favored at Baltimore or they were only like two point underdogs against Baltimore. And I was like, okay, this has gone, it's gone too far. Now I'm back in uh, on, on rooting for them. I I think it would be incredible to see Jared Goff start a Super Bowl for another team. Like literally one of the most maligned quarterbacks of our lifetimes. So yeah, this is, this is your floor to talk about our lions, Ben Johnson, Jared Goff, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, the whole, uh, the whole, group here with Detroit. Um they're they're interesting, they're feisty, 
Dan Campbell is is like weirdly for someone who probably spends no time on social media, kind of the perfect coach for social media because he's got nothing but sound bites. But uh, yeah, what is your outlook on the Detroit Lions? And we can get out of here. Yeah, I mean, preseason, I thought, you know, as somebody who like led the restore the roar thing last year and that kind of like held strong when they were one and six and nine and eight was so much fun. I was, you know, not necessarily as bullish on them going into the season because I felt like the market had caught up. Um, now, though, you know, we have them, you know, 89.8% to win the division. We Minnesota is a tough one, right? Because they have a good record, but I don't think they maintain it. Um, Lions have a below average strength of schedule down the stretch. They had an above average strength of schedule to this point. Uh, they only play one outdoor game, and that's against Chicago the rest of the year. You know, Eagles have a really tough slate. Cowboys have to contend with the Eagles. Niners don't necessarily have the the toughest slate about an average schedule moving forward. So I do think that there's a really good chance the Lions get the one seed. And then from there, it's like they're hosting playoff games. And, and and you know, they could, you know, there there's a path where they play the winner of the four or five game, which could either be a terrible Saints or Falcons team or uh, a Cowboys team where, like I, I said this on social media, people got angry, but like, Dak has like a turnover late game in him. Right. And they should be favored in that game anyway, but like th- they could get Dallas and then have Philadelphia and San Francisco call one of the other teams. And it could be a real, you know, tricky, you know, it could be like a path where they only have to play like really one elite team in the NFL before they get to the Super Bowl. So I- I'm, I'm on the bandwagon from a mathematical standpoint, just because I think the path there is incredibly, is incredibly bright for them. And the other teams in the NFC have far harder slates. I'm with you. All right. Tell the people, Sumer Sports, everything that they can get on the website and uh, where and when they can watch you and it, uh, Mr. Thomas Dimitrioff. Yeah. So we are on the Sumer Sports Show. It's on uh, YouTube, uh, but also Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Love for you guys to subscribe. Sumer Sports on Twitter. Uh, we've, we've, you know, what we're trying to do is, is be the kind of objective stats that people can go to every single week. Um, and then sumersports.com, we have a league table where you can look at simulations of the season. We have all kinds of stats for quarterbacks, wide receivers. Um, and we're also uh, at some point soon coming out with a large language model tool uh, for fantasy football and gamers. Wow. Where you can sort of type in. I'd uh, love to give you a, a beta test uh, uh, access to Davis so that you can go through and do that. But uh, but yeah, it's it's. Um, it, it, it's a lot of fun stuff that we we that we have a, a very uh, I think generous uh, chairman at at Sumer, so we're doing all the stuff that I've always wanted to do as far as uh, analytics and 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 gaming and things like that. All right, folks, there will be a link to Sumer Sports in the description of this podcast. I will be back next week. See y'all then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.